Well, hey, Covenant, my name is Jason. I do get to be the pastor of Church in the Wild, uh, and I'm so excited. I am really so excited to be able to share with you today something God's been really putting into my heart. Um, and so if you have a Bible, John chapter 16, John chapter 16, I'm going to probably preach for like three and a half hours on this passage. So I just want to jump into it. Amen. There we go. There we go. John 16, verse 25. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. This is Jesus speaking. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. And that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you. And just for a second, remind yourself today, the Father himself loves you. You can't say that to yourself enough times, I believe. He loves you. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. This is one of my favorite things in the Bible. Because Jesus is the greatest communicator in the history of the world, and his disciples criticized how he was communicating. And as a pastor, I'm like, oh, thank you for including that in the scriptures. Because every Sunday, the same person walks up and is like, now, pastor, I want to point out that you said, um, three times, right? Now we know that, that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are gracious, kind, loving, just, holy, and righteous. We stand in your presence today, humble, fallen, broken people. And Lord, we want to take just a moment to reflect on your peace, a peace that, if we're honest, it passes our human understanding. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for covenant, Lord. Thank you for uh, just the way this church has blessed me. It has blessed Church in the Wild. We look at covenant, and we are so thankful for covenant, Lord. I do pray that you would be with Church in the Wild, Lord, right now, as they are preparing to set up, Lord. We just pray that you would give us a great rest of the day. And Lord, thank you so much for whoever it was that discovered the coffee bean so many years ago. God bless them. Jesus name. Amen. I had good coffee this morning. I had good coffee. Clearly you ever uh, have someone just be brutally honest with you. Like just, just probably maybe too much. I was, um, I was talking to a mentor of mine and I thought I was right on a certain topic. So I was fired up. I gave him a call and I was just letting, you know, and then I said to them and he was like quiet for a while. And he said, can I just repeat back to you what you just said to me? I'm like, Sure. <laughs> and it got quiet, and he's like, what I heard you say is, and then he repeated it, and then I was like, oh, man, I'm such a jerk. And he's like, well, I don't want to say that. I'm like, well, so I got to call them now and apologize to them. He's like, well, I'm just telling you what I heard you say. I think in this moment, uh, the disciples maybe went through something like that, because if they're honest, like, 
what they heard Jesus say is, is something that doesn't make sense. We heard Jesus say that we will fail. We heard Jesus say that we're going to have tribulations and trials. And we heard Jesus say that we're going to have this thing called peace. That doesn't really seem to match up in our culture. Because in our culture, peace doesn't equate to failures and trials. That doesn't make sense to our world. And yet I find our world, our culture, continually searching for peace in more and more and more and more different ways. We try everything to find peace. We legalize everything now because we're just desperately searching for peace. And yet we wake up the next day with regrets, having to go search for that peace all over again. So when Jesus says, hey, you're going to fail and you're going to have trials and you're going to have peace, his disciples are like, what I heard you say is that we're going to fail. And he says, yeah, but I have overcome the world. See, Jesus' peace is vastly different than our culture's peace. First of all, Jesus' peace is a prepared peace. I mean, think about how we go about things. I heard a commercial recently. It was so funny to me because it was someone, someone saying, hey, I, I'm having a harder time chasing my grandchildren than I used to. And so I took this pill, and now I can chase my grandchildren. And then the side effects came on, and they were like, here's the side effects. They listed off 30 things, and at the end, they were like, paralysis, suicide, and death. I don't want any of that. I'd rather have a hard time chasing my grandchildren. Right? Like, our, our world is full of filters. You ever see someone, and then you see their Instagram, and you're like, one of the two is not the same. You are not the same person that this person is. I mean, we live in this world of filters and salespeople giving only the good news. Go to a gym. They'll tell you, man, at our gym, here's all the good stuff. Buy a car. Here's all the good things. Try to buy a house in this world. Here's all the good things about this house. By the way, we don't have time for an appraisal. Just don't worry about that. It's a world that we live in that only gives the good, but Jesus... His peace is prepared. He's saying to them, hey, I want you to know so that you are prepared for what is to come. And can I just tell you, in our, in our prosperity gospel, American culture gospel that we live in, there's a lot of churches that are just going to get up and tell you, follow Jesus and it'll rain down gold bricks on your head. That doesn't make sense and it's not true. Jesus said, you will have trials, you will have tribulations, you will fail, you will go through the dark season of the soul even when you follow me, but have peace. I find peace in the fact that Jesus is open and honest with me, so then my failures don't surprise me. I find peace in the fact that when I go through a trial, it doesn't come at me out of the blue and I'm not like, oh, I, I thought... Jesus, I thought that if I followed you, there's like an old Southern gospel song, don't hate me for this, but there's an old Southern gospel song that's like, now it's sunshine and roses. I'm like, that's just not true. It's just not true. Jesus was the son of God. There wasn't a lot of sunshine and roses. There was whips and thorns. And yet knowing what is coming towards us can prepare us and give us peace. But secondly, God's peace is a tested peace. It's a tested peace. This is what I love about his peace. See, at this point, the disciples had already seen him walk on water. They had already seen him feed thousands. They had already seen him go through trials with them. They already knew that he could heal. 
They already knew that he could fix things. They already knew that he had been with them in the past. And knowing that he's been with us in the past gives us peace going forward, knowing that he will be with us in the future. This is what this peace is. It's a peace that comes from understanding, man, you walked with me through this, so I know you'll walk with me through this. I'm going through this, but I've seen you back here, and I know that you've walked with me back here, so I know you'll walk with me up here. This peace is God's peace. It's tested. It's tried. See, it was only after walking through the valley of the shadow of death that David could know that God would be with him the next time he had to walk through it. I love David. David is like, man, he's one of my favorite characters in the Bible because the Bible's just so honest about him. You think about David for a minute. David was born into failure and trials. Imagine that someone is coming to Grove City and they want to cast you in a movie. They're looking for people to be in a movie. And your family is like, you know what? We'll send everyone to go be cast in that movie except for this one person because we already know you ain't going to make it. This is what David's dad did to him when the man was coming to pick the next king of Israel. He was like, oh, you want to pick one of my sons to be king of Israel? Cool. All of my sons will go here. Oh, David, it's not going to be you. Go take care of the sheep. Later on, David has to face this giant He's going to fight to the death with a giant, and the king who sends him out uh, doesn't even bother to ask him his name. Have you ever noticed that? Like, he sends him out, he tries to give him armor, he try, and he's like, I don't even know your name, go for it. It is only after David actually wins that the, Saul is like, what was your name again? <laughs> and there's a, there's a part in Psalm 23 which speaks so much to my heart. It says, um, you, you anoint my head with oil. And then he says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. This is a really important part of David's life that he's talking about in Psalm 23. And it kind of gets skipped over because we like the, the, the better parts, the more fun parts. But he was anointed with oil when he was picked to be the next king of Israel. And he also had a table prepared for him in the presence of his enemies. Saul, the king, made a table for him but also spent the better part of his life trying to kill him. And yet David learns from this resistance he encounters through Saul how to be a good king, how to be a mighty warrior, how to become a better leader, how to be a better man. See, the resistance that you and I face in this world, it's not fun, but it actually is good for us because it causes us to grow into being better people. The question we have to ask as believers is not, will we face resistance? The question we have to ask is, what do we do with the resistance when it arrives? I think we can do a couple things with resistance. I think with resistance, we can say something like this. We can, we can resist resistance and say, you know what? I just don't want to deal with that. I just don't want to have to handle all the problems in this world. We, we say things like this. It's such, a, it's such a modern culture thing. We say things, uh, we say, I am enough. I am enough. I don't have to try. I don't have to push myself. I don't have to, I am enough, which sounds really cool, but it's a lie. It's not true. You're not enough. And I know, I know that people say it, and I know it sounds really good. I'm not enough. I can say it as many times as I want and get it tattooed on my body so it's a reminder. I can write it on places, but I'm not. Only Jesus is enough. Jesus alone is enough, and the rest of us need to go through something in our salvation journey that we don't enjoy, and it's called sanctification. 
See, when you're saved, you're justified. When you arrive in heaven, you will be glorified. But in the middle is this messy process called sanctification where you begin to look more like Jesus every day of your life. And if I'm honest with you, sometimes it's really hard. And sometimes there's a lot of resistance that you will encounter as you try to look and become more like him. Jesus is enough. So you can either resist it and say, you know what, I don't want to deal with that. David tried that, by the way. It's the only times in the Bible that David got in trouble. Think about David. He, every time he faces resistance, he does amazing things. But one day, David, the Bible says, all the kings of the world, all that, that region go to war. And David's like, you know what? I got a rooftop. And rooftops right now are really expensive, and the interest rates are up, and Man, have you seen the price of wood? I'm just going to hang out on my rooftop. Someone's going to bring me some drinks, and I'm just going to have a good time up here. I'll let my army go to war, and I'll just, I'm tired of fighting. I've had enough trials. I'm tired of it. And he looks over on another roof, and there's, there's a person making a TikTok. And it's a lady, and she's dancing, and he's like, oh, what's up? I'm definitely staying home now. And David gets into sin, and he gets into falling, and he falls, and he falls into sin. Why? Because he was resisting the resistance. He didn't want anything to do with fighting anymore. He said, I had enough fighting. You can resist it or you can resent it. We've all met someone who's resented. They resent resistance. And here's how we know we met them. You ever ask someone how they're doing and then instantly regret asking? Bad. Oh, <laughs> why? I got an ingrown toenail. My pet's heads are falling off. I mean, there's, there's the whole list of everything. You're like five minutes later, you're like, why did I ask how you're doing? Everyone in the whole church is singing holy, and they're in there singing, nobody knows the trouble I see, right? I mean, you can resent it, but honestly, you're probably not going to have a lot of friends after a while. Because we've all met that person that pushes everyone away because every time anything bad happens, they begin to be bitter and angry. There's a lady in the Bible like that. She resented the resistance that came into her life and literally changed her name to bitterness. Or you can recognize the opportunity for growth that resistance provides. Every time David faced resistance, he grew as a leader and as a man. Every time... In fact, all the way down in Psalm 119, verse 71, David said, it is good for me to have been afflicted. See, resistance leads to growth. James said in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, that we should count it joy to go through that. Romans 5 says that it teaches us to be faithful and steadfast and to have hope. Paul said that resistance taught him to trust God in 2 Corinthians for, uh, chapter 1. We got to see God's strength through resistance in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. And Joseph said that resistance taught him to be prepared for greater struggles in Genesis chapter 50. See, the truth is Satan attempts to bring resistance to destroy us, but God uses the resistance to improve us and to demonstrate his power over them for his glory and for our gain. Your failures, your trials, the resistance that you will face in this world can lead to your growth. Now, I am clearly not the strongest man in the room, but I do understand the principle that the muscles in our body that are the strongest are the ones that face the most resistance. And so often in life, when we begin to go through trials, we begin, I don't want to go through this. We sing, we sing you know, the, the song, you call me out upon the waters. 
where feet may fail. Now you know why I'm not on the worship team. And then as soon as God calls us out on the water, we're like, whoa, take this trial away from me, Father. But the muscles in our bodies that are the strongest are the ones that face the most resistance. David said something that I think is the key to all of this. In Psalm chapter 77, verse 11 through 12, David said, I will recall all you have done, O Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old, and I will point out all your work and then meditate on your mighty deeds. If you're going through failure, if you're going through trials, if you're going through tribulations, if you're going through intense resistance right now, can I just tell you the key to fighting that and to keeping the peace that God has for you is found in those simple words, I will recall all that you have done. See, I think we don't understand the word recall. We think like, oh, I recall that person. I recall that moment. But that's remembering. And David later on says, we will remember all that you've done. To recall is to willingly choose to call back to memory. It is to say, yeah, I'm going through something right now, and it's so hard, and it's so difficult, but I will choose to remember when you walked with me through this. I will choose to remember the time that you were with me in this moment, because I remember that you were with me in that moment. I now realize that you will be with me in this moment. Reflection is so important for the Christian. I'll, I'll tell you our story really quickly, and I, I know um, I'm not going to try to take a long time on this, but I want to tell you a little bit about our story and our church's story. So we opened uh, right before the pandemic. Church in the Wild opened, and uh, it was a great time to plant a church, just a wonderful time. Like we were just starting to get our feet going, and then we got that call, hell yeah, we're going to shut down for 16 weeks. And I remember the first week, the first week we were online and we we're like, we have a thousand viewers online. Look at all this money coming in. This is great. And at about week nine or 10, when there was like 20 viewers and like 30% of the giving, we were like, oh, we have to reopen. We reopened with 30%, 30% of what we had before. And because we were in a very unique building situation, which I don't have to tell you guys about, you know all about stuff like this, we had all these rules. No kids' church until September. We had big garage doors. In the middle of the summer, the garage doors had to be open. We had to wear masks and be socially distanced. We had to have families put in squares. We literally put gates around each family. It was, if I'm honest, really, really difficult. We hired a worship pastor, and his first week on the job, I said, we're reopening next week, and you don't have a worship team. Here we go. Let's, let's get this started. We were grinding. I mean, grinding, trying to get restarted. And then my aunt, who helped raise me, passed away. And we lost out on two buildings that would have solved our building situation. And then I had a family friend who was murdered. So here I am, I wake up on a Friday morning, I'm trying to deal with, with helping this family that just went through a tragedy. I'm trying to figure out a good way to tell our church that the second building that we were looking at, we just lost out on. And I realized that I couldn't send an email that I was trying to send because my hand wouldn't work. And I thought, well, that's, that's really weird. And I walked to the bathroom mirror and realized I can't really brush my teeth with my left hand. You know, what's funny is I had to drag my leg all the way here, and then all of a sudden my neck fell over. I'd had two strokes within 10 minutes of each other. I'm 30, 
eight years old, and I'm sitting in a hospital. I've just lost a friend. My aunt passed away. We have no building. We own two businesses. We have a church plant that's just struggling to stay alive. And the doctors are telling me, you may never preach. You may never walk. You may never be able to play with your kids ever again. By the way, we figured out you have a hole in your heart, and that's actually a bigger problem than these strokes. So now we have to do a heart surgery on you. So we do the heart surgery. I start to get better. I start to heal. I start to improve. We wake up. You can't make this stuff up. We wake up on the 4th of July weekend, and my wife and I are like, man, we're so ready for just a good weekend, just a little bit of rest. And we look out the window, and I'm like, hey, that's funny. Where'd our van go? Two 12-year-old kids had stolen our new van. They committed 46 crimes in it. They shot at police officers. They ran from the police with it, and they totaled it. So we went through this whole process of getting that fixed. We got a brand new vehicle. I mean, it, it's like it had like 200 miles on it. It was a Ford Explorer, brand new. My wife drove it for a week. She was taking food to someone who was sick, and a 16-year-old girl blew a stop sign and slammed into that vehicle and totaled it. Breaking the one part in a Ford Explorer that is made in China that they cannot get. So we just got that vehicle, no joke, Wednesday. We just got it back. This was Thanksgiving when they totaled it. Oh, and by the way, she had COVID. And she hugged my wife to tell her how sorry she was. So at Thanksgiving, my wife got COVID. And then on Christmas Eve, we had two church services. And I went to go work out right before the Christmas Eve service. I thought, I'll get a good workout in. Well, the person I worked out with had COVID and they gave it to me. And along with uh, 76% of our church, New Year's Eve, I had COVID. So we had to shut down again for two weeks. So my daughter's birthday rolls around January 28th. And I'm like, this is going to be a good day. And she gets COVID and so does my wife again. And it was like this for a while, like just this overwhelming tragedy after tragedy, just trial after trial after trial. But here's what I want to encourage you with. When I recall all that God has done, I think about a man named Haider. Haider is a Shiite Muslim man from Iraq. His uncle lives in Montana and had a vision that, that Mary brought to him a candle and said, this candle is for Haider. Tell Haider that Jesus is the light of the world. So he called Hyder and told him that. And Hyder didn't know what to do, so he said, okay, I'm going to go to a church. So he got on Instagram, and he found that our keyboard player is from India, and he was like, well, if he can go to church at Church of the Wild, I guess I can. So he walked into our church service and said, hey, I'm a Muslim. Tell me about Jesus. I said, okay, bro. So I told him about Jesus, and he said, wow, how do I accept him? Well, let me tell you how to accept him. So I told him, he's like, man, that's so great. Can I get baptized? Yes, you can definitely get baptized. Another, another person I remember is a man named Leon. Leon was shot in the spine in New York City. His first Sunday at Church in the Wild, he wheeled himself to an outdoor river baptism we had. And we were baptizing a lady who we pulled her up out of the water. She walked up to the top of this hill and he said, how do I get to have happened to me? What happened to you? And she said, well, I'm a brand new Christian, but I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I gave him control of my life. I asked him to forgive me for my sins. And he said, I want to do that right now with you. She prayed with him there, and we picked him up and carried him down and baptized him in the river. Amen. And I start thinking about things like that, and I find peace in knowing that God was always with me. He never forsook me. He never failed me. I failed him, but he never failed me. 
And now our church is averaging more than we ever were before COVID. We just had our 200th salvation decision, and I see God working even in the midst of my failures and my trials and my dark seasons. He's with me, and He's with you, and I know you're going through things, but He's with you. I know you're struggling. He's with you. But thirdly and most importantly, God's peace is an eternal peace. See, the beautiful thing about the peace of Jesus is you don't have to wake up the next day and try to find it again. You don't have to wake up and regret what you did to achieve peace for 30 seconds of a day. His peace is eternal. I'll tell you a couple quick stories. Jesus, right after he talks to these disciples, he, he, gets, um, he gets captured by the enemies. They do forsake him and fail him just like Jesus said they would. He stands alone in front of a man named Caiaphas. He's surrounded by enemies. There's no one with him seemingly. And Caiaphas, the high priest, says to him, are you the son of God? Jesus says, yes. And then Caiaphas does something that is so significant and so important in the Bible. Caiaphas says, this is blasphemy, and he tears his robes. Now, when we read that, we're like, okay, whatever. But Caiaphas wasn't supposed to do that because Caiaphas was a high priest. And if you read the Old Testament, the only people in the Old Testament not allowed to tear their robes were the high priest. Why? Because the high priests were the only people granted access to the very presence of God. And tearing your robes signified we have no peace and we have no hope. All hope is lost. So Caiaphas, in this moment when Jesus says, yes, I am God, he tears his robes and says, all hope is gone. But think about what happens just a short time later. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and the Bible says he gives up the ghost, and when he does, he yells with a loud voice, there's an earthquake, and what happens? The temple veil is ripped in two. And you know what happens there? The presence of God, which was limited to one person, goes out and is now available to every one of us. And because the presence of God is with us, we have peace, and we have hope, and we have joy, and we have hope here within us. This peace is an eternal peace. It's a peace that doesn't even make sense. But it's a peace that says, I know He was with me, I know He is with me, And I know someday I will be with him. So bring on all the trials. Because I'm going to stand with him. The Bible says that when Jesus did this, I'm sorry, I'm going to start crying on you all. I cry a lot at Church in the Wild. I'm sorry. Ma'am. When Jesus does this, the Bible says he goes to heaven and he is seated on the right hand of the throne of God. There's only one other time in the entire New Testament where Jesus is pictured as standing, and it's when, it's when uh, the first um, Stephen falls to his knees. He's dying. The Bible says Jesus stands up. That's the only time in the New Testament he is mentioned as standing. Why? Because Jesus' job is done. When you go home and your job is done, you sit down. Jesus has given you the peace that you so desperately long for. He's done the job, and it's available. And the only time that he rises to his feet is when one of us falls to our knees. You feel knocked down? You feel beat up? 
feel like you're facing a trial, feel like you failed, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And he has peace for you. See, Jesus ultimately is really saying to his disciples, I need you to see me for who I am. Well, who is Jesus? Look at Revelation chapter 4. We sang about it a minute ago. Revelation chapter 4, verse 6. Before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. Around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. First living creature like a lion, the second like an ox, the third with the face of a man, the fourth with an eagle in, like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Let's tell you one thing about these creatures. The Bible says they're full of eyes. They see everything that Jesus does and they never cease to say he's holy. The Bible also says they have eyes within. Why? God created them to continually investigate whether or not they are saying the truth. And they have never for a second said that he is anything but absolutely perfectly holy. This is our Savior. This is our peace. Our peace is not found in anything that culture provides. It's found in a Savior who came to this earth, lived, died, and rose again and is seated at the right hand of the throne. He's for you in your trials. And he has peace for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are gracious, kind, loving, just. You're holy, you're righteous. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who has never accepted your love, they have never accepted your salvation, they've never had a moment where they realized, I am a sinner and I need to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I pray that right now in this stillness of this moment, they would accept you as their Lord and Savior. And Lord, after this service, they would immediately go out to the lobby and meet with someone from the Connections team and begin to grow and connect in this process called Christianity. For the rest of us here who are Christians, Lord, but we are searching for peace and we are struggling. Help us, Lord, to keep our eyes on you. Help us to see you for who you are. You are the Lion of the tribe of Judah. You are with us and you are for us. In Jesus' name.